welcome to the Jesus Never Ran podcast where we focus on slowing down our lives so we can speed up our dreams. I'm your host and eternal optimist, Matt Kinzera, and this week we talk to a speaker, pastor, friend, and influencer. Carl Wheeler. When it was really about my ego, I actually had a lot of opportunities. When it's less about that, I mean, it's still there, but it's a little less about that. Now I don't have the opportunity, so I don't know what to do with that. Since we're talking about slowing down our lives, let's talk about relaxing. I love being on my front porch enjoying a beverage from Infinity Beverages. Check out their website at www.infinitybeverages.com. They will deliver right to your door. Or if you're in the Eau Claire, Wisconsin area, check out their tasting room. Again, that's Infinity Beverages at www.infinitybeverages.com. Proud sponsors of this Jesus Never Ran podcast. I first met Carl Wheeler at a women's conference that we were both at. That's right, at a women's conference we were both at. My wife was leading worship and I was helping with that, and Carl was a speaker. So he was a speaker at a women's conference. That is absolutely true. And he was incredible. He would at one moment have us all in tears, and at the next moment we would be cracking up laughing. And one of my favorite moments from that weekend, and this, just so you know, this was years and years ago, and I can still remember some of it like it was yesterday. There was this moment, and it was probably at one of the deepest, just most sincere moments in one of his messages when he was really getting into some deep things. And all of a sudden, a random bird smacks into the window as hard as you can imagine, making a huge noise. And without missing a beat, Carl just looks over at the window and said, well, I guess he's in a better place. And the whole place erupted in laughter and he just kept moving. He is just an incredible speaker, an incredible man, an incredible thinker. And he's been through such amazing things in his life and I don't mean that from a career standpoint although that's true as well but just the way he thinks about life challenges me to my core and he's an optimist in some ways a pessimist in other ways but at the end of the day he's a follower of Jesus who never ever ever is going to give up so let me introduce you to Carl Wheeler I'll start early because it's all affected me. I grew up in a home with two very different cultural, culturally different parents. My mother was born and raised and lived most of her life in Stockholm, Sweden. And my dad was in the service. He was actually spying on the Russians, kind of, you know, Cold War, listening to that stuff. They met at the Swedish embassy. My dad's from Alabama and so my mother, never being to America, landed in Alabama in 1958 in Birmingham. You can just picture that. Um, and that marriage ended when I was three. And both parents uh, remarried when I was six. Married people that, from my perspective, didn't really like having stepchildren. And so there was some rough childhood kinds of things. My mother... My mother dealt with that by drinking, became an alcoholic. And all that led to in ninth grade, I made a really firm commitment to Christ. And it was in a, a, a fundamentalist kind of church 
but was exactly what I needed because it was my way to escape from home. And really, for the first time, I was good at something. <laughs> like I was good at hitting the marks. If you remember, sort of what very conservative Christianity can be like, and so that's where I first really got、um, some acknowledgement. I don't know, you know, self-esteem boost. May not be the best way to do that, but I can see how God used that. And I went on from there to Bible college, had a、um, great early experience. Really, my whole Bible college experience was great,、um, and. So there's some stories in there where my wife and I were kicked out for six months, but we came back. And so our early marriage, we were married at 20, and she was、uh, just 18, about to turn 19, and she was pregnant. That was you can put that together. And then,、um, so when you're in a conservative environment, while you know grace, forgiveness is is such an important part of that story. There's also、uh, sort of a, a cloud or a blanket of shame that can come come on you, and for a lot of years, I think that deeply affected us.、Um, I think I compensated by wanting my kids to be superstar Christians, so I had that that part. I began to work in ministry right away. I've been in min, I, you know, I did ministry, I guess, for almost forty years,、um, starting in youth ministry. Then church ministry、um, had started a couple of little churches, and all that time as I'm trying to figure out and make the transition from fundamentalism to something else, and became intrigued really with the idea of church being a, a place where we recreate family and we create as Great as we can, a fortress of safety.、Um, and in that context, I really began to change. Also, even though I mostly changed by recognizing the ways in which intimate relationships were really difficult for me.、Um, and so, I, I think that was the way in which I forged really my theology was my own brokenness. Had to come to grips with the fact that I was drinking too much as a way to. Sort of numb myself, but I didn't really realize that for several years I wasn't、um, getting drunk all the time. But alcohol became a way in which I could take the edge off my sort of relational anxiety and my lack of intimacy. And, and alcohol or any addiction can can have this pseudo intimate experience for you in a way to escape. And any addiction is always going to accept you.、Um, But it's gonna it's gonna bite you in the rear later.、Um, so the Lord used that, and, and so I've had a, a, a so sobriety experience that's affected my view of community,、um, my need for support.、Um, and now,、uh, you know, all of that to say,、um, the the way in which I've wanted to do church, the the final point is I've wanted to be in a place where a wide spectrum of people who are Wanting to be excited about their faith, or they are really struggling with faith, and they are really struggling with their own stories and how that integrates into their story of God. Now, I like Carl, and like many other people, struggle with social intimacy, simply feeling uncomfortable in socially intimate experiences. The interesting thing here 
is that Carl is feeling pulled towards, or we could say Carl is feeling called towards a church or a faith community that he identified as more like a family. That is social intimacy. A family is the definition of social intimacy. So Carl is feeling led towards something, like deep in his soul is feeling led towards something that scratches some of his deepest fears and insecurities. So let's dig into that a little bit more. If I'm in an environment where I've used what is maybe my best skill, which is speaking and humor and and, and helping people feel safe and comfortable in either a small or even really large gatherings, I think that's kind of as a communicator what I've wanted and, and been able to you know accomplish. But what I would notice is then when somebody doesn't know that's who I am, and I'm not special, then it is really hard for me to create new relationships, new friendships, if if I don't have a sense that they think I'm special. And I don't know how to, I don't know what that's all about. It's certainly not as important a part of my life now, but I, I, I got to say it's still there. And especially, it, I want to now transition and I still feel the sort of the tug to be known for my mission and my calling. And when someone struggles with, or maybe doesn't even agree with that or thinks I'm off, it's hard for me to connect. And it's hard for me to be, it's, it's easier to be vulnerable and open when I'm in a large audience, because the reality is that's safe. They're not going to come back. Nobody's only once has somebody shouted me in the middle of a talk. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's part of the, you know, the I don't know, the light and dark side of who we are. What a great description of just where it all comes from and why it's hard for Carl to connect in certain situations. So now what about the reality of needing to do something about it? One thing to remember, I think in any area of growth is you just have to practice and you have to try a, like a little bite. We tend as people, I think, and I know this is true for me, to be zero or a hundred. Like it's either I'm really good at it or I'm terrible at it. And so something that I struggle with, I get stuck in this sort of shame cycle. Well, I just suck at that. I guess I'll never do that. So now what I think I try to do is just take a baby step towards it. So what does it look like? Sometimes this sounds crazy, but not... I practice not telling somebody about some accomplishment I've had and what does it feel like? And, and can I be present to them? For me, a lot of times practicing listening for me to say to somebody, tell me more about you instead of interjecting something that will give me credibility. So that, that's some little ways to do it. And, and I do try to practice the gratitude for the friends I do have. Like I've got a few people in my life, not a lot, but a few people who really love me. And instead of going, man, I, I look how few friends or intimate friends I have. I try to remember I've got some friends who really do love me. Um, so that's that's helpful. Sometimes Jesus gets a misrepresentation that he had a ton of friends because there's always crowds of people around him. But the reality is he went out and chose 12 disciples. But even within those 12 disciples, he had just a few of them that would be identified as the people that were closest to him. 
And I've always taken this as a way to look at my own life. That in this world that tells us that we have to have so many followers on all of our social media accounts, the reality is, is all we truly need at the core of it is a few people that are really close to us. And if they love us and they value us, that's going to help us with our intimacy and with our ability to function in the way that we so desperately desire to. Now, Carl has this incredible, rich history with church, and he's experienced it in a lot of different ways. And it's one of my favorite things to listen to him dialogue about. So I want to dig into that a little bit about Carl's experience and really his transition in thinking with church. What I loved about being in both a sort of a mid-sized conservative church is I, I love that balance of community, which is maybe a, like a, if you think about it, you know, 25 years ago, that was Sunday school. And it's so weird. Even back then, people would say in this Sunday school that I was I was leading. This is our church. And then we go to the service, you know. So I've always loved that there is this idea that church is not just what happens in Sunday morning. But what was great about that was being in a large group of people singing together and hearing something together. And so there was a bigger this is bigger than just our Sunday school. Then I went, then I started speaking, and then I began, because of my own convictions, right or wrongs, I wanted to be part of something that was not hierarchical. In other words, while I could use my gifts of leadership and teaching and pastoring, I wasn't like the boss. There was a group of us who led with our gifts, and I loved that. Um, and then my my then I was speaking for a while, just speaking and, and not really connected to just one church for a, for a season. And then I, I, I was in a mega church, a super mega church that was really seeker sensitive, saw so many people come to Christ. The, the music, the everything was just amazing. Well, honestly, they hired me in this really, they were in a rough place. They had lost their founding pastor, and they they had been bringing in different speakers who, who were sort of national speakers. I've never been a real nationally known speaker by any stretch, but I was a homeboy. You know, I was from the same community, and they connected with the way in which I communicated, this mix of sort of the gospel and my own story that I don't have it all figured out. And these are the places where I'm hurt and I struggle. And so the folks really connected with that. And I thought we were heading towards sort of a decentralized version of a megachurch. And as it turned out, that is that part they did not want to participate in. I also have a pretty strong egalitarian. What that means is that I believe women and men have equal voice, we have different um you know, we're different. Men are different than women. But that doesn't limit what a woman can do and be. And, and I've certainly done a lot of Bible research. I'm very respectful for people who don't see it that way. But that's how I see it. And so then my next experience was being part of this progressive Christian community that did an amazing job of including people who really were on a fringe that, that would be my description. They were on the fringe of faith or really on the fringe of society, whether it was maybe an addiction issue or they were unresourced. Um, you know, working poor people typically are not 
the voices of leadership in evangelical churches. And that really bothered me. Um, and so we were looking to change that. And so that was my next experience. Um, but again, my evangelical values after 11 years, um, it, it wasn't a good fit. I wasn't helpful anymore. So that's when I left. So many people have challenges in church situations, and I can't even tell you how many times I talk to people, and one of the biggest things that is brought up is about a hurt that they experienced at a church. Now, Carl is no exception, and he has had some real challenges. These transitions that he's made have not been without some deep hurt. And so I wanted to ask him how he can continue to move forward in spite of that hurt, in spite of maybe some anger that he might have. Maybe it's just human to have a sense of real anger. You know, and anger is always the front for some other feeling. And my hunch is it was the feeling, what, what was described as anger was really underneath it, rejection. Now, I'm not saying they actually, maybe that wasn't even what was intended, but that was my feeling, that I wasn't, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't right. And that's a, that's a, a childhood story, right, that I carry through. And, and that's this dark story that the enemy can whisper in my ear. I think part of being a, a, a Jesus follower, a Christian, is we bought into a dream. And we, we realize it's not going to be fully realized until we get to the other side. But part of what we do as we follow him is we keep being compelled by this thing that is way more beautiful than what we could even imagine, even though we don't fully realize it. So I do think there's a bit of this dreamy, romantic part. And at the same time, along the journey, we, we collect um, wisdom and information and then, then some things that I think we would like to pass on and, and have conversation and community about. So I've created, I, I, I know, again, my passion is what does it look like to live out this thing that Jesus said about being one? Now, I will say, because we all see different things, that's the thing I notice in the Christian world that seems to have very little value. What's more valuable is that I get my perspective out there, my my prophecy that I I, I kind of have this thing now. I've always, you know, I kind of thought I was prophetic. I'm kind of going, I think we got to quit feeling like we're prophetic. Let's be done with that for a little bit. What I mean by prophetic is it's my voice that's going to change the church. I'm going to point out all the things that people aren't doing right. And that's going to be the impetus um, where where I think instead of speaking truth to power, I think we speak grace to power. And there, there is maybe a shift in me in that way. I'm much more compassionate towards people who see things very differently than me because I want to be one. Here's a reality. The reality is when we get hurt, we often make it all about ourselves. We want to tell people from our side of the story so they can feel bad for us, and it becomes this pity party. Let me tell you, Carl's story is a story where he has justification to feel bad about some stuff that he went through, but he chooses a greater perspective. 
He chooses a perspective that Jesus prayed for us. Jesus said a prayer, and it's the only time when it's documented that he's praying for other people. We have the Lord's Prayer, we know, but when he's praying for people, the thing that he prays for is for unity. And so Jesus desires unity, and so we should desire unity. And the whole idea of walking like Jesus is all about oneness. And the way to overcome hurt and to continue to move forward is with a desire and a dream of buying into a hope that we can take a step forward in unity today. talking about church, we're often skewed in our thoughts of church based on what we're used to. And so we assume church has to look a certain way. Carl's story is proof that that's not necessarily true. He's been involved in many different forms of the church, yet it's still that same unified church that Jesus prayed for and that unified community that Jesus prayed for. So now Carl has a group of people that are meeting together in his house. And I want you to hear about this new perspective on gathering as a community and gathering as a church. It is all of us for sure. The one thing I guess we do have in common is we bumped up against not fitting in in some way. So that is our group. We're ragamuffins. We have inside at different levels this desire to be the people Jesus wants us to be. We would recognize you can't do that on your own. That's, again, an American sort of version. We're trying to see the, read the scriptures with a little bit more of an Eastern eye. And what I mean by that is the context in which it was written. There wasn't the sense that it's me and Jesus. There was this sense that it is us and him. And we listen and have formed ourselves in a, in a community and usually a small community. So that, that's what, what brings us together together. Uh, Sometimes, you know, if a lot of people can be out of town, we just say, hey, bag it. We'll we'll get together next week. We meet on Sunday nights. We meet at my place. Usually we have dinner. And as we're eating, we're beginning the conversation. Sometimes we have communion right then because um, we want to share for sure. That's what we're gathering around is this remembrance. And then I'll teach a little bit and then we just talk until we're done talking. <laughs> Pray. One of my friends who's part of this, she's written some books on singing the Psalms and has done really an extensive work on that. And so I think we'll begin adding a little bit of music in, in a way, but it'll it'll probably feel a little different than maybe the way a lot of churches do music. Carl hasn't stumbled upon the new, great, best way to do church. He's just doing church in a way that makes sense for him in this season of life. So it's not about figuring out what's right or what's wrong. It's about this drive towards unity and this drive towards wanting to be connected more with Jesus and more with one another. As always, we need to hear from Carl about the advice that he would have for somebody with a dream or a thought or an idea. Here's one. No matter what you try, The kingdom is not going to come to a screeching halt if it doesn't work the way you think it should work. You cannot try wrong. You can try and then be willing to adjust and change, listen. Let's say you start a house church and three weeks later you go, you know, I don't think this is what we're supposed to do. This is really crude. So what? You had three weeks. And if it goes 50 years, that's great. Make sure that what is success 
really is what you believe success is supposed to be. And most likely it's going to be to try. And I engaged with people, connected with people. For Carl Wheeler, walking like Jesus means trying with everything that he has to connect with people in a deep and meaningful way. It means overcoming some natural tendencies that he grew up with in order to do what he knows is right and beautiful. It means trying and failing and getting back up and adjusting and trying again. It means never giving up on a dream that Jesus prayed for. Jesus wasn't a guy who liked to walk alone. He chose people to walk with him. He chose people to be by his side because he was teaching a lesson that when you walk like him, you walk with others. So don't try to do this life alone. Walk like Jesus and find some friends. If you're trying to go after something and your finances are not in order, you are sunk before you even start. That's why our sponsor, Kathy Jensen, is here to help. Each day, we are reminded of the role our faith plays in our lives. But does it play a role in our finances as well? Now, for the members of Thrivent Financial, it does. For over a century, Thrivent has been helping Christians blend faith, finances, and generosity. Because it's not just about making more, it's about doing more for your family, your church, and community. Learn more about Thrivent's unique mission by calling Kathy Jensen, Thrivent Financial Representative at 715-231-1662. Disclosures, licensed agent producer of Thrivent Financial, marketing name for Thrivent Financial for Lutherans, registered representative of Thrivent Investment Management Incorporated, thrivent.com slash disclosures. Next week, we celebrate our 20th episode by looking back at the first 19. We'll see you then. As always, check out The Walking Club, www.jesusneverran.com. Get started today on accomplishing your dreams by joining our monthly video series that will help you go from where you are to where you want. The dream we have is to be fully loved and accepted.